everybody. We are so very excited to welcome you to another episode of FP Next, our farmer and rancher driven podcast from your friends at Farm Progress. I'm one of your co-hosts, Sarah McNaughton, and I'm here with Kurt Arns. Hi, Sarah. How are you doing today? Pretty good. Got our winter weather still alive and well up in the Northland. How's it going for you down Nebraska? Oh, 40s and balmy. So it's just like a nice fall day or a nice spring day. Depends on which one you like the best, but uh, <laughs> uh, that's okay. We It'll all even out. Okay. So Kurt, we're bringing on a very special guest today, somebody who we both know quite well, who wrote a widely read story about the spread of tar spot in her home state of Missouri and across the Midwest. Tar spot is becoming a huge issue in corn country these days, so we're hoping for our guests to share some light on tar spot, a little history about this menacing disease, and what farmers can do when it is confirmed in their region. Right. Um, we want to welcome today editor of Missouri Ruralist and senior editor of what we like to call the Wild West Group and the Farm Progress, Mindy Ward. Yeah, I feel like I am in the balmy state because I know you guys are up north and it's a little colder, but you know we managed to get into the 60s here and um, we're in December the 15th. We feel a little hot. Um, not bragging, but I am. So <laughs> <laughs> you can send some heat up here whenever you want, Mindy. Okay, so Mindy, welcome back again to the episode. So, but before we dig into Tar Spot and the story you wrote about it from Missouri Ruralist, we want to give you we wanted to get a little bit of a background in your career in farm journalism and at Missouri Ruralist. So tell us a little bit about your life and how you ended up being the editor down in Missouri. Well, first, my family is not um, what you would call a generational farming family. My folks actually lived um, most of their life in towns. Um, in Ohio, they started and then they moved to Missouri. And uh, we lived in a subdivision until about the third grade. And they decided that was enough of that. Bought some land and had no idea what to do with it. But I was a very persuasive young lady, and I managed to get my folks um, to be interested in agriculture, and my mom was one of those who wanted us to be involved, and so she found 4-H. Yes, 4-H started mm -hmm. it all for us, and they allowed me to have any livestock I wanted, so on this little piece of land, we managed to do fair to finish hogs, Hampshire's, um, as well as Poland China. Anybody remember that one? Uh, we did a little land race too. And then uh, we did cow calf pears and we also did sheep um, and uh, did all of that just on a small farm. And then we got to FFA and from there it kind of launched there. I went to the University of Missouri, um, studied agricultural journalism back in the 90s and graduated from there and left the state. That's what most people do, right? Um, so we left the state for about 10 years, uh, lived in Minnesota, came back home when my mama was sick and uh, care gave for her and then started freelancing, uh, took another uh, job. And then uh, Missouri Rules came calling and asked if I was uh, interested. And it is just one of those well-known uh, publications, well-revered publications in agriculture in the state of Missouri. And of course, I jumped at the chance. So that's how I got into ag journalism and reporting from Missouri Rollist. Isn't it funny how all great ag careers go back to 4-H and FFA somehow, it seems like. so. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Especially for those families that, I'll give you one more, especially for those families that maybe have never had any agriculture experience, which was us. And uh, they just welcomed us with open arms and it was just really nice to have a place where you felt you could learn and belong. So yeah, kudos to 4-H and FFA. 
We all love 4-H around here. I know I got my start in 4-H too, and obviously love it so much. Went to 4-H extension, so big 4-H <laughs> fans always. Okay, so we have a couple of fun questions for you to answer before you get started. You guys actually are a big sheep family, so can you tell us a little bit about that big sheep show that you and your family put on every year in Missouri? Yeah, um, my little brother started this. I say little. He's uh, just 11 years behind me, but way taller than me. Um, um, my maiden name is Spooster, so Bobby Spooster. He started um, when we were in COVID. And at that time, all of the county fairs were shutting down, state fairs. And there was just nowhere for our kids to get together. And I have five nieces and nephews. And um, there was nowhere for them to get started and even come together to show. And so he thought, you know what, let's do something. Um, let's just have, it's outdoors. Let's just try something. And so we did it in the little town of our community of Pike County up there in Northwest Missouri and um, came out there, uh, just set it up and he set it up. We have donors who give to us in order to give um, back to the kids. All of the money we raise goes back to the kids. It's a jackpot show. It's called Freedom Fest Junior Breeding Sheep Show. And so um, it is a very long one. We just call it Freedom Fest for short. And uh, we give all of the money back to the kids. We started there. It was 200 head. We were hoping for 100. <laughs> he thought he'd be successful at 100 head. 200 head pulled in. We showed off trailers um, all the way from out in California, all the way to the East Coast. Um, the next year we doubled. And, and this past year it was, um, we've been at it for four years now. We're at 900 head. We show in the swine barn at the Missouri wow. State Fair. So yeah, my little brother does a great job of that. He is a great showman. Um, Spoonster Hamps is known throughout the country. So he does a wonderful job there. My kids grew up showing under that as well as their own um, Oxfords and Dorsets. So mm-hmm. it's been a family thing ever since my mom and dad let us raise sheep and uh, it's continued on. It really keeps our family together. We just have a great time. Oh, so fun. Yes. That is a huge show. I mean, that talk about growth in the last, what, three, three years or so. My goodness. And, and I wonder how many states, you know, exhibitors from how many states are there, do you yeah. know? We, we do pride ourselves of going from coast to coast. He yeah. has a network that is um, just phenomenal. And, you know, sheep families just like to get together. Any livestock families just like to get together. So we just had barbecues. We fed them. You know, we just had a good time and the kids really loved being together. They still do. It's still competitive, um, definitely competitive. Uh, and it's kind of one of those precursors to some of our national junior shows. So you can see really what's coming out on those shows um, for kids. But we also have a cornhole tournament <laughs> with fun. He brought in um, a singer last year, live band. So, oh my gosh. Uh, yeah, we just have a good time. Um, it's anything for the Spoonsters to get together and throw a party. So that's <laughs> <laughs> Man, when I you throw it. a party, you really throw a party, though. That's a big one. So <laughs> so we had another fun question for you, Mindy. Um, and we asked Jackie Holland when she was on our episode not too long ago, the same question. But so what's your favorite place to grab a burger? Where do you go to get a great burger? Oh, it has been my children's favorite forever. And if anybody knows, when you live in a rural community, you got those barn grills. And ours is Treelor Barn Grill. And it's just about uh, four miles down the road. It's the one that's in the country that there is nothing else around us. I mean, we would have to drive 15 miles to get there. But this one is that local barn grill. And whenever we were working um, sheep, working livestock, building fence, it is the best place to go down there. You call and you order, you say your name, you go down, you pick it up, and they have some of the best burgers around we always love a good burger everyone's got a great answer and so kurt and i maybe will just have to take a burger tour one of these days whenever we make it down south and and to fort collins so 
Okay, well, let's get down and talk about tar spot. So Mindy, you wrote a story that went online on our Farm Progress sites back in early September talking about how tar spot was spreading in Missouri. And I'm pretty sure you interviewed a researcher from Mizzou and then also an agronomist from Bex Hybrid for this story. It has been read a ton um, by producers, and it really lays out in plain terms a little bit of the history of tar spot, what the yield losses from it can be, and how to recognize it in the field. Tell us a little bit about how this story developed. Correct. Um, it was at a field day. I had been to a couple of field days. You know, as an ag journalist, those are some of the best places to find story leads. So I had been to one for Bex as well as one for the University of Missouri. They put on one every year, Pest Management Field Day. And so a hot topic was tar spot um, this year. And Mandy Bish does a great job over there. She is the University of Missouri Extension State Plant Pathologist. And so she has a lot of information, does a lot of work in this area. Uh, um, Alex Long was um, uh, the Northern Missouri field agronomist with Bex who had seen some tar spot in his area. And so we were able to, I was able to listen um, just a little bit. I do not profess to be an agronomist or a plant pathologist at all. So they are ones who really know the nitty gritty of it. And it's just our job to tell them, you know, our, inform our readers of what's happening out there. And they do a great job with that. So, um, yeah, we ended up having tar spot in northern Missouri. But this year, boy, it spread a lot. I was just at a another crop management conference just last week. And Mandy was there talking about how it came to evolve. So uh, that's pretty much how we got started on tar spot. Um, it is one that we knew was in northern, just the northern couple of counties that it had come in on and but it really spread. We started um, seeing a whole lot more. Yeah, Mindy, tar spot now is kind of getting to be a feared term for farmers, you know, not only in the Midwest, but like you say, spreading into Missouri, including, you know, some of the Western Corn Belt into Kansas, a little bit in South Dakota and Nebraska, pretty much the whole third eastern part of the state, you know, they found it. Um, so can you tell us, um, from what you learned on this story, a little bit about the history of tar spot. I mean, you know, it's relatively new to the U.S. And, and um, so how did, how did it get here and, and when was it first discovered in the U.S. anyway? The disease of tar spot, and there's a couple of different ones um, that are coming about. And I... <laughs> I will say it and all of you agronomists will get on the podcast and go, that was not the correct spang of it. So try again. But it's Phylacora <laughs> matus is one and Monographella matus is another. So um, there's two different kinds. Phylacora matus is the one that we have here um, in the United States. And it was a disease that was present in the early 1900s in Mexico and, and the Caribbean. Um, so that was, that was a while ago. And so it took about 100 years uh, to get here into the U.S. and it started over there in Indiana and Illinois. Thank you to the I states. Um, no one really saw it coming. Um, and they act what we have here in the United States. Those tar stop pathogens act a little differently than those in the Caribbeans. Um, but yeah, like you said, it's, it's now in 19 states and growing even throughout those states, which which is what is problematic for most growers. I'll tell you a little bit more about um, what we have in Missouri, and that is um, it, it, we've, we confirmed it in, in 16 counties, you know, in 2023, but boy, it really jumped up there. Um, and that was early in 2023 when Mandy gave those numbers. And now you know, it's doubled that, if, if not pushing closer to that. Um, it's It's been now 
into 36 by the time um, in the past five years, they've seen it just grow. So um, it started in the Northwest. Uh, Mandy was really adamant last week of she went in and, and she would go to different, just stop along. Cause we always said it was a North of I-70, which if you know ge- geography here in the state, that cuts right across the center of the state. Um, so we always said it was North of I-70. And she said this year she managed to just stop along the way while she was going um, in that late August and definitely into September, random cornfield. Um, she would go there in central Missouri, walk out into it to see if there was any tar, tar spot. And she found about 90% of them had it oh. in it. So it's one of those we like to have said it was just in the northern couple of tiers and that northwest and northeast but now it's really just managed to make its way south. Um, oddly, it's Miss Warren County, which is where I'm at, but went down to Franklin County, which is below me. So it really is something that is here. Unfortunately, as she says, it is something that overwinters. Um, so it is here to stay. She only looks for it to kind of increase. And oddly, you wouldn't think of that in the state of Missouri because we're a little hotter than most. Um, but that is, you know, where it is at and where it's going. Um, and it's just something that we have to figure out. How do we deal with it moving forward? What are we going to do because it's here? Absolutely a great, great caution about like how to deal with it. Because I know even we had a uh, SDSU plant pathologist confirm it up in the eastern part of South Dakota last last November. Um, so let's talk a little bit about what does the data say about fungicides and their effectiveness in stamping this out? Have they noticed down there that this is like those fungicides work for this? I think what she was commenting, especially last week on, was the fungicides may not protect from the tar spot you seeing it. It does protect from yield um, and that yield loss. And so that's kind of where you're looking at those fungicide applications to be done is to in order to protect those yield losses. And so now what they're trying to do is, is, you know, do a little bit more learning, uh, talking with a little bit more of universities across the country. And they're kind of focusing on um, where are the, you know, fungicide efficacy? Where is it at? Um, When do we do it? Is it one pass, two pass, three pass? Still at the very bottom, she comes down with, um, it is from the, uh, that VT1 uh, to the R3 is the best part in order for it to kind of make an impact on it. Um, Long, he he actually, and Beck says VT to R1 um, is some of the things that, you know, they have lost a lot of the yield there. So maybe protection earlier. Um, when you apply those fungicides is going to also be critical because uh, I'll share with you a little bit of what she saw there. And that was um, for our state, um, June, um, it was early, but they started seeing the tar spot then. And then she kept saying, she was so funny. She said, I kept saying, no, you're wrong. It's not tar spot. She goes, uh, I was wrong. It was tar spot. So what we had was these cool temperatures in the air and the cool dew points. And so those two things combined is really what escalates tar spot across the country and, and especially in your areas. And so they favored it a lot. And then by in June, and so we saw tar spot. Then July, we went hot. And tar spot's a disease that doesn't like hot. And so we kind of stagnated 
a little bit. We didn't do much, and the tar spot just kind of hung out there for a little bit, but didn't increase, didn't do anything. <laughs> then we got back to August, and we went back to cooler temperatures, you know, dew points that were higher. Um, and so it ramped up one more time. Um, I would say for some of those farmers who are looking at irrigation, this is an issue for you, Kurt. You know that um, yeah. this is one of those things that is a pathogen yeah. that likes wet. And so those yield losses are going to come a lot of times underneath those irrigation pivots. And that's one of the things she cautioned a number of guys, again, you know, pay attention. Um, if you're irrigating, you have these conditions. Um, this is where you might see those losses. Um, she said before she would, you know, say, oh, it's Illinois, Indiana under those pivots and they get 40% losses. She goes, now that might be in our neck of the woods. Yeah. That, and those, uh, those risk factors are some, some of which we can't do much about. And I'm not sure how you, mm-hmm. you know, work with the irrigation because it's so crucial to keep the crop going. And then yet, you know, can create the conditions depending on the temperatures to encourage tar spot, which is what you don't want. So I'm not sure how that works. And that, I mean, that kind of goes into my next question, which was really, you know, what are, under what conditions should farmers be looking for tar spot in their own fields? Well, and some of this would be cultural, you know, I know like corn on corn, that's kind of an area, right? I mean, where it can be a bigger issue, right? Cool. You know, other risk factors, I guess, that you need to be uh, be aware of other than other than like the corn on corn or anything else culturally anyway. Yes. If you have had tar spot, it, it overwinters there. The likelihood is it will, if you're going to go come back on corn on corn, switching up that rotation would be it, you know, if you could. Um, I don't think they've really found any type of resistance on those type of things uh, yet. Um, there's a lot of research going into more on how they look at the timing. And so they're actually working, Missouri is actually working to look at and to collect from um, some of these tar spot that are on their fields to determine, you know, is the tar spot in Minnesota the same as the tar spot in Missouri? You know, is there a difference there? And because you need to know that in order to know the timing of if, you know, application, you know, the amount of yield drag that you may have in one versus the other, but are these pathogens the same? So they're really looking at that and how the spread of it, the University of Missouri is also looking at just basically how it is spreading across our state and they're using um, different types of air samplers. Um, They have like an active air sampler and they have a passive air sampler. Um, They put them up at the university uh, just to be able to see um, where it's spreading, how it's spreading, and um, just to confirm that there are these type of pathogens. So they're also taking that you know, just those samples across the country um, to determine what are we really looking at and can we treat it differently based on our location. Uh, But right now, it is just fungicide treatment at the right timing. And right now, no one's sure if it's a two pass, one pass, three pass, you know, you got to time it just right. Mm -hmm. But they do know it's that VT, you know, to the R3 stage that seems to protect yield the most. So that's what farmers really have to be paying attention to. I think it'll be an interesting thing to kind of see what that research continues to develop uh, throughout 2024 and beyond, of course, is kind of what's going on with it. And like we've all said, we are not agronomists. I think a lot of us like to do uh, livestock stories and maybe you're a little more familiar on the livestock side. So uh, one last question for you here, Mindy, if tar spot is found in their fields, what steps can farmers take to control the disease? Are there some hybrids that are better equipped to deal with this? 
for the experts farmers can rely on to tackle tar spot? I know that was more than one question, but kind of overarching. <laughs> yeah, if they identify tar spot, and you'll find like some of these Bex agronomists, they were are wonderful resources. Some of your local agronomists are wonderful resources in order to go out there. Number one, identify what you have. Um, perhaps see when it came into, you know, being and, and when it really took over your field and, and but try to get ahead of that. I think telling them early on that this is my field and being able to identify this was the field that had tar spot last year. I think that's really crucial of making notes this year so you can share with agronomists next year. Um, Mandy Bish says she's very good now at uh, it used to be like sending the sample. She goes, I'm getting better at being able to look at it just in a photo and being able to see what it is. A lot of stuff that's coming in. You can look at it. Tar spot is one of those that you, it doesn't scrape off. So she says a lot of times it's just a simple, you know, farmers go in there and they try to scrape it off. And if it doesn't scrape off, it's tar spot. But she says some photos are like insect grass and stuff of that nature. So you have some of those coming in. But I would really lean into your agronomist as well as um, any university extension agronomist specialist. They are very well versed in this as well of when you can go out, what is the best application. They're looking at fungicide trials to see, you know, which one is working best. Right now, it's just really up in the air. It's just really hard because I think this one, once it comes in, just kind of blows up and it's just a hit or miss on that. Um, she said there was kind of like two different camps in um, Missouri and in all across the state that was like, oh, you know. I have to go in and get this. Um, I'm in panic mode and I need to go in and I need to spray a fungicide right away. She goes, and then there's others like this has been here for three years and I haven't had a yield <laughs> decrease yet. So why am I going to spray? It's, it is finding that happy medium. I think we are just so grateful in agriculture, especially in the state of Missouri, to have a university in Missouri that goes and does those research, as well as Bex and those local agronomists that go in there and actually do those trials to try to help farmers, you know, figure that out. All we can write about is what the research tells us, but they're the ones who are actually doing those boots on the ground and trying to tackle some of these tough issues that come in. You can see them coming. You hope and pray they don't land in your backyard. But when they do, um, having people like that in your corner as farmers, I think is truly beneficial for them moving forward. And, and probably understanding where tar spot is in relation to your own fields probably helps. I mean, in monitoring, because if, you know, if it's been confirmed around you, it's, it's most likely coming your way if it's not there already, even though it may, may or may not have been confirmed. Yeah. Right? yeah. And there is a, Sorry. Yes, Kurt. And there is a really good website um, that Mandy shared as well. And it is called just corn.ipmpipe.org. And they look at all different types of diseases. And one of them is tar spot. And they give a map of where this is at um, so that you're able to see exactly where tar spot has been identified, um, likely by university professionals in your states. And so um, maybe we'll be able to drop that in the link I, I, below or in the comments below on the podcast or somehow hook it up to that to where you'll be able to go in, look in your state, look in your county to see if it's in neighboring counties around you. And so, like you said, Kurt, knowing where it was at, knowing that it, there's the potential that it might come here, boy, it spreads really, really fast. I mean, to go from zero to 36 in about five years, that, that's a quick turnaround. And it's one of those that you need to have on your radar uh, moving forward. 
And because of your research, I learned something else um, that tar spot in maple trees that we see quite often is not the same as tar spot in corn. And so I think that was, you know, part of your research and you tipped me off and I, I went, went down the rabbit hole and found the answer for that. And, uh, you know, I'm always interested in trees. And so that, that was kind of an interesting thing. So it is not the same. Not, in fact, I think there's tar spot pathologists call, there's another tar spot in like lima beans and there's some other crops that will have it. And they, it's all called tar spot by the pathologist, but but it's not caused by the same by the same problem, the same organism. So yeah, it's not the same. So that I learned something there too. Thank you, yeah. Mindy, for sharing all that you've uh, learned through your research and writing, and and you know hopefully this helps out some of our producers uh, in understanding a little bit more what they're what they're dealing with when they hear the word that dreaded word tar spot in the corn belt. Yeah, thanks, Kurt. I really appreciate you reaching out, um, learning a little bit about what's going on in Missouri. I would really help our farmers just really stay plugged into Farm Progress publications because the research that's coming out of Minnesota as well as Missouri and looking at some of that DNA testing that's going on, like you said, to identify tar spot, whether it's on trees or in the field, um, we'll we'll be on top of that for you. We're going to try to help you identify what's out there so you can find the best way of treating it and hopefully potentially, you know, getting on top of it so it doesn't impact your yields and profitability. Thanks again, Mindy. And you can find a link to Mindy's article on tar spot as well as other great ag coverage around Missouri and the region at MissouriRulist.com. We will also link it in the episode description along with that website you're talking about that tracks tar spot in your state. Both of those will be linked in the episode description below. Thanks again uh, to Mindy Ward uh, from Missouri Ruralist for sharing her expertise with us today. We're, we're so excited that you let us join you on your farm, in your field, in your truck or tractor cab. Thanks for tuning in and visiting with us today. And a special thank you and shout out to our digital and marketing team members who put in a lot of work with us. That would be Jen Kokel and Grace Ritchie. We hope you enjoyed the Shop Talk edition of FP Next, covering the hot stories you need to know about. Be sure to follow Farm Progress on social media. Stay up to date with Ag News and more. And check out the digital edition of your regional publication, including Missouri Ruralist, at farmprogress.com. Be sure to like and subscribe and follow along with FP Next wherever you listen to podcasts. Tune into our next episode of FP Next for a special Boots on the Ground at the Stock Show edition of our Farm Files episodes. And you won't want to miss that one. <laughs> if it's agriculture, your friends at Farm Progress have you covered. From FP Next, wishing you good weather and high yields. We'll see you next time.